I know some people are looking for very clear direction and rules that everybody must follow. Clearing up confusion and helping businesses get back on their feet. A senior's home hit by thieves. Having this equipment taken from them is very frustrating and extremely upsetting. The valuable goods they were after and why they didn't get away with it. And making the most of a second chance. I was swimming, I had one arm left and uh, all of a sudden things changed. How he escaped the horror of Oppenheimer Park. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Dr. Bonnie Henry is trying to clear up some confusion about the province's approach to reopening BC's economy. While many are relieved to be moving forward after weeks of closures due to the pandemic, others are raising concerns about a lack of detailed regulations for specific businesses. Keith Baldry has more on BC's unique approach. I will remind people we are now in phase one. After the buzz generated by yesterday's announcement of BC's gradual reopening, Dr. Bonnie Henry offered a reminder today that nothing is really changing for a while yet. That means we must continue what we are doing for a bit longer. That is important for us. We need to continue the measures that we're taking to bend our curve down and to get um, this under control. Yesterday's reopening announcement has businesses wondering if they can reopen and how and when. For some, there seems to be more uncertainty than clarity. I would love to know how we can prepare ourselves being a mobile business, uh, not just for makeup, but also for hairstyling and lash extensions. Uh, all of these areas require us to be fairly close to our clients, especially makeup artists. But the details of how to reopen are coming soon, says Dr. Henry. Template plans and checklists are, will be available and they're, in the, they're being developed even as we speak. So some restaurants and bars, for example, some hair salons, they may not open. Like every family, every business is also unique and depends on who works there, who, you're, who you serve, who your clientele are, and the physical setup of your business. One source of confusion has been about the future of personal gyms. Today, some clarity. There will be restrictions. Numbers of people, depending on the size of the facility, your ability to clean, um, they not, not congregating in, in, uh, in the washrooms or the change areas. So there'll be um, measures that will need to be in place. And so, once more, a reminder, the reopening doesn't start until May 19th after the long weekend. I'm uh, confident that if we continue to do what we're doing uh, you know, by the long weekend, we'll be able to very slowly and cautiously start um, the opening up process as well. All right, Keith joins us now with more. Even before we get to that long weekend, though, Keith, there's a lot of concern about this coming weekend. It's going to be beautiful in terms of weather. It's also Mother's Day. So mm -hmm. concerns about how that could impact the spread of the virus. Yes, uh, anytime there's good weather and crowds, people start congregating in crowds, that does increase the chance of the virus spreading. The other thing from today's briefing, and it relates to Mother's Day, unfortunately, uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix reminded us that the, the ban on people visiting long-term care homes to visit the loved ones on Mother's Day is not going to be lifted. We're going to be with this ban uh, for some time. And one of the reasons for that, Sophie, and again, Dr. Henry addressing what's called the second wave of the pandemic, which could come in the fall. Then she notes history tells us this is what does happen. It's going to have an impact on why one big reason why those long-term care homes likely will remain off limits to many visitors for some time. Here's Dr. Henry. 
Every other uh, pandemic in recorded history has had at least two waves, some more. Um, whether the second wave will be uh, more severe than the first, whether there'll be a series of smaller waves, I don't know. Um, I don't think anybody knows. There's uh, a lot of theories around the world. What I do know is that we need to keep putting the pressure on this virus to make sure it doesn't take off. And that means we can't um, expand our circles too much in the coming weeks and months because we don't have immunity and, and nobody around the world has sufficient immunity to prevent transmission of this virus, even those places that have had more severe outbreaks. So a reminder, tomorrow's Friday, so there's no briefing from Dr. Henry or Health Minister Adrian Dix. The big COVID-19 story tomorrow, folks, is going to be announced tomorrow morning. That's going to be the jobless numbers from Stats Canada. The last number we got in, in uh, British Columbia in mid-March was 130,000. But if you recall last night, I played John Horgan, Premier John Horgan's statement that as of now, 400,000 people have applied for the emergency response benefit. So tomorrow's jobless numbers are going to be absolutely staggering right here in British Columbia and across the country. That comes at 9.15 tomorrow morning. All right, we'll be talking to you again tomorrow. Thanks, Keith. All right. Let's get to the COVID update now. It shows 33 new cases for a total of 2,288. There are two additional deaths, both in long-term care homes. The numbers in hospital remain fairly stable at 76, and there are 20 in ICU. We now have 1,512 people who have recovered in B.C. Also today, we learned just how big the backlog is for elective surgeries. Tens of thousands have been put off, but those procedures will resume over the next couple of weeks. And as Ted Chernecki reports, it could take years and hundreds of millions of dollars to catch up. By now, everyone's felt the pain of the pandemic, few more so than the 30,000 patients who were waiting for a surgery that got cancelled in mid-March. Today, we'll start the process of relieving that pain for people who have been suffering because of the, uh, the lack of elective surgeries. The province is throwing an extra quarter billion dollars into the medical system this year, hiring all 1,550 nurses graduating in B.C. and other staff for what is being described as a huge undertaking. The COVID-19 has had wiped out many of the gains we had made in recent years in increasing the number of surgeries significantly, and it's impossible for us to catch up without significant program changes and increased capacity. Those gains were already questionable. The BC Anesthesiologist Society back in January 2019 released a study suggesting wait times in BC between 2002 and 2018 had increased by about three times the growth rate of the population. Now COVID adds a new dimension. It was, uh, in some respects, easy to shut that down. It's easy to say no in a system. Much harder to get going again because we have cases continuing into the system. We have to assess patients for the urgency of the surgery. It's an enormous challenge. Some patients can expect a call any day, but will be taken through a thorough screening process right up to surgery to make sure COVID-19 hasn't found its way into the body. Our surgery renewal plan uh, beginning this month is going to be a massive renewal. It is a hugely ambitious plan that will keep up with new demands for new surgeries and clear the backlog created by COVID-19 over the next 17 to 24 months. Due to staffing levels and fatigue, operating rooms will not run around the clock. The 30,000 cancelled elective surgeries due to the pandemic bring BC's overall wait list to 93,000. Ted Shinaki, Global News. 
Two men are facing charges in another disturbing case of criminals trying to profit from the pandemic. On April 29th, last Wednesday, a storage area of the terraces on 7th Retirement Home in Vancouver was broken into and a large quantity of personal protective equipment, including hand sanitizer and more than 8,000 masks, was stolen. The items were then put up for sale on Facebook. Charges have been laid against 28-year-old Jesse Coutley, Charges are also pending against a second suspect. Having this equipment taken from them is very frustrating and extremely upsetting. They are a vital uh, resources for our healthcare workers at a time like this. So uh, the fact that we were able to get this investigation, complete the investigation and get the two suspects and return the PPE back is some outstanding police work. Ottawa is partnering with the provinces to help many of Canada's essential workers get a raise. But the bottom line is this. If you're risking your health to keep this country moving and you're making minimum wage, you deserve a raise. I want to close Prime Minister Trudeau making the revelation during his regular address to the nation. Trudeau says the wage top-up is a $4 billion plan constructed in collaboration with the provinces and territories, and he credits Canadian unity. Right now, we're finalizing the details with the last provinces, and I want to underscore that this has been a truly collaborative effort. Premiers from across the country all agree that we need to support our essential workers, and I thank the premiers for the continued Team Canada approach. We're relying on these workers now more than ever, and we will be there to support them. It will be up to each province to determine which workers qualify as essential and will receive the top-up. The federal government will cover three-quarters of the cost of the program, while the provinces and territories will fund the rest. Well, many restaurateurs are breathing a huge sigh of relief that they will soon be able to throw open their doors to customers. But others are warning that between the impact of the two-month closure and the new normal rules of operation, they may not be able to reopen at all. Aaron MacArthur reports. The doors are locked at Edible Canada. The Granville Island restaurant decided takeout wasn't an option during the pandemic. All the staff given layoff notices. And now with the okay to start to look at reopening, the options are pretty limited. Generally, summers are where we make all our money and carries us through the, the shoulder seasons and the winter season. I don't see us being profitable again until next year. Edible Canada, like most restaurants, needing 70 to 80% of capacity just to break even. With the social distancing guidelines that need to be put in place of six feet between tables, three feet between people, we're probably looking at 15 to 30% of our normal capacity. The restaurant industry as a whole, pleased the B.C. government has started down the road to reopening. But the die has already been cast for hundreds of eateries. Two months with little to no income and costs or debt piling up. The fear is many won't survive. 14% of our members uh, could not find an arrangement with their landlords to pay uh, April rent. And 20% of our members couldn't come up with May rent. Vancouver City Council is looking at ways to increase capacity, more patio seating, easing of restrictions to provide more options. 
But any measure would require cooperation between multiple levels of government. And while we may want to, for example, open up our sidewalks or traffic lanes to food service, we need to work closely with our provincial partners to make sure everything can be done smoothly. June 1st has been given as a reasonable relaunch date for the bulk of restaurants in BC. People willing to brave the new reality shouldn't expect much choice. Close signs might soon be replaced by ones that say, going out of business. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. BC Ferries is adding more sailings on the Tawasson-Swartz Bay route. Starting May 15th, an 11 a.m. departure from Swartz Bay and a 1 p.m. sailing from Tawasson will go into service Monday through Friday. On the 16th, just before the Victoria Day long weekend, a 7 a.m. sailing from the island and a 9 a.m. sailing from the mainland will be available. And starting May 24th, a 3 p.m. departure from Tawasson and 5 p.m. departure from Swartz Bay will also be added. All of those sailings will max out at 50% capacity, and there is still no food or retail service open at the terminal or on board. BC Ferry says the added sailings will help ensure the movement of essential goods to and from Vancouver Island. It's been a hub of violence, drug use, and despair. But Oppenheimer Park is also a place of hope. And the story of one homeless man who fell on hard times is a reminder not to judge everyone who ends up there. His inspiring story in just over a minute. COVID-19 comes to the White House. How close an infected worker got to President Donald Trump later on the news hour. And change is in the air. What American air carriers are doing to avoid financial catastrophe and encourage travelers to fly coming up. Right now, though, as the provincial government continues to move people out of homeless camps in Vancouver and Victoria Parks, comes a sign that there can be a light at the end of the tunnel. Jordan Armstrong has the story of one man whose life was turned upside down and then turned right around because of the help he received. Well, we're finally home. Here we go. His own apartment in a BC housing building in Strathcona or the Oppenheimer Tent City. Ask Rial which one he prefers, and he doesn't hesitate. This one here, the BC Housing, yeah, it's, it's, it's relieving. The 58-year-old fell on hard times this year. Oh, By March, he was homeless. By April, he was in a tent at Oppenheimer. Nobody feels safe in there. You can see the grass, literally, you're hallucinating. You think it's not happening. It was moving at night. There's a lot of uh, infested rats. Now, Riel has a permanent home, a full-time custodian job, and a smile. <laughs> Look better with a smile than a sad face. The Oppenheimer camp is shrinking by the hour. Saturday is the province's deadline for it to be cleared out. BC Housing says it's found accommodation for about 200 people in the last two weeks. Fewer than 30 remain at the tent city, and there are beds for all of them if they choose to accept. BC Housing is working with all our partners to offer housing solutions both in the immediate and in the long term. One of those partners is Luma Native Housing Society. Director of Housing Kevin Eaton says statistics show about 40% of the Oppenheimer population is Indigenous. We need to do more. You know, remember, the steps we've made are, are amazing and fabulous and, and going in a direction that, that I think we need to go in. Um, but definitely more can be done. Rial says the key to his turnaround was a positive attitude. I only wanna, had one arm left to swim. I said, okay, wait, this... Is got to, some positives got to come somewhere. 
and it just came. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Glad to see it. All right. Uh, police say the COVID-19 shutdown has unfortunately not stopped some drivers from flouting the law. And so a new campaign aims to remind them that police are still out there. Police in Squamish, Surrey and Burnaby have all tweeted pictures of vehicles caught going way over the limit. All of them ending up on a tow truck heading for the impound lot. But police in many cities are also noticing an increase in aggressive driving. Initially, during the beginning of the pandemic, we did notice a drop in traffic violations around the city. But recently, we have seen a spike in aggressive driving. This includes excessive speeding, tailgating, weaving in and out of traffic. Police across the province say they will be on the roads next week paying particular attention to aggressive drivers. A ticket for excessive speeding can be up to $483 and, of course, impounding of the vehicle. Still to come, spring flooding hits Kelowna. There was no warning. The major cleanup for surprised residents. Also tonight, Vancouver's fire chief hit by thieves, the irreplaceable item he lost. Next. A couple of problems here on Highway 1 eastbound. There's a truck in the ditch at 264th because, of course, there is. The left lane is blocked by a tow truck. And then not too further along, there's another minor accident just past 264th eastbound. At Kermat Collision and Autoglass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is their top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, Hive of Highway One in Langley. Vancouver's fire chief has posted an unusual tweet tonight, not about fire, but about being the victim of a crime. Chief Daryl Reed says his work truck was broken into, the thief taking his dress uniforms and medals, among other things. Reed says one medal is special because his grandmother was with him when it was awarded to him. And he's asking people to keep an eye out for his belongings. Flooding is a major problem in Kelowna tonight where Mill Creek breached its banks early this morning, wreaking havoc on residents in the area. Global's Jules Knox has more on the damage and the cleanup. The water's really coming in really fast. TJ Kyle woke up Thursday morning around 5 a.m. to a panicked neighbor pounding on his door. He woke us up like, hey, like, you have to move your stuff right away as quick as you can because I can see the water's coming in. Kyle says he started chucking his family's belongings out the window onto the lawn. It is empty now, but uh, there's lots of stuff right there. I have about all my baby stuff at the floor. So I just, it's just like adrenaline rush, you know. His place now swamped with the waters of Mill Creek, which burst over the banks near Marshall Street and Rowcliffe Avenue, washing onto the road and down into ground floor apartments. There was no warning, so unfortunately, you know, it was kind of like a flash flood. It came up so fast that uh, we weren't ready for it. Here we go again, is exactly what went through my mind. It's three years ago when we had the big flood, this is this... Here I thought, here we go again when I saw the water coming down the back alley. The city says it was caught by surprise. Clearly we did not anticipate this. The creeks had risen in the past couple of weeks with the snow melt that's been occurring. And snow melt would not have done this. Uh, this is a direct relation to the amount of rain that we had. The Central Okanagan Emergency Operations Centre says that significant rainfall and debris combined leading to the high water. But it says at this point it doesn't anticipate issuing any evacuation orders or alerts for this area.
It's going to be a tough day. When Annie Petuskin saw the back parking lot start filling with water, she rushed to move her car. The water's up to here, so I had to push to get into the parking lot, and then the river would come in. And then when I tried to get back in, I had to pull. Residents scrambling to protect their properties, still in the midst of a pandemic. The pandemic becomes secondary tertiary, actually, after this, because nobody's going to worry about social distancing and washing their hands when this is going on. As BC's school districts and universities try to figure out how to restart classes, they're also dealing with a looming financial crisis. As Richard Zussman reports, the loss of international students due to travel bans is going to hit budgets hard. When schools across British Columbia slowly start allowing more students back into the classrooms, there's one cohort expected to be missing, international students. When I got to the board meeting and our Secretary of Treasurer announced this shortfall, um, I, I was quite shocked. International students in kindergarten to grade 12 in British Columbia pay about $15,000 each to attend a public school. Last school year, international students contributed $260 million to districts across BC, generating $111 million in net income. Some districts are saying the financial shortfall of international students not enrolling will need to be made up by terminating teaching positions. I wish the district or... The ministry was looking for other alternatives to balance the shortfall. The Greater Victoria School District is looking at cutting 33 full-time teaching positions to make up for more than $6 million in losses. In Surrey, where international enrollment is capped due to massive local enrollment increases, the potential loss is nearly $4 million, but says they won't cut any teaching jobs. Premier John Horgan assuring districts they don't need to get rid of teachers. We're not contemplating layoffs, quite the contrary. Education is the key uh, to success for individuals and for communities. It's the great equalizer. Post-secondary institutions are also facing similar COVID-19 challenges. Even a little drop-off of international students will affect the bottom line. A student from British Columbia pays around $5,500 for a full-time course load in an arts undergraduate degree at UBC. An international student pays nearly $40,000 for the same thing. Uh, we also understand the value of uh, foreign students, uh, international students coming to our post-secondary institutions. So we'll be working with the university president on how, how we uh, deploy uh, spaces. Post-secondary students are expected to reveal details over the next few weeks on how they're planning to operate for the next school year. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, COVID exposure in the White House. What President Donald Trump is doing to make sure he's protected. And how the NBA is helping researchers learn more about the virus that shut down their season. Traffic is in good shape both ways over here at the Portman Bridge this evening. Keep in mind, though, if you're just leaving, eastbound traffic slows down on Highway 1 through Langley due to a truck in the ditch at 264th. At Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is their top priority. For essential service repair information, please visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Portman Bridge. Greyhound Canada has been forced to put the brakes on its remaining bus routes. The company says it's facing a 95% decline in ridership, forcing it to suspend service. The shutdown will translate to layoffs for about 400 employees. Greyhound Canada had already scaled down service in March and April. Remaining bus routes are set to come to an end 
on May 12th. Still more controversy tonight over reopening the U.S. economy. The Trump administration is taking heat for rejecting the standards set by the Centers for Disease Control for a safe reopening. And now more criticism of the president's handling of the crisis with news a member of his own staff has tested positive for the virus. Say to those states that Tonight for President Trump, the coronavirus is hitting close to home. One of the president's personal valets, a member of the U.S. Navy, who NBC News has learned, works in the West Wing, serving the president his meals, among other duties, has tested positive for the virus. I've had very little uh, contact, personal contact with this gentleman. Uh, know who he is, good person, but I've had very little contact. Mike has had very little contact with him. President Trump saying he and Vice President Pence were tested yesterday and today. The results negative. Did it spook you? I mean, it, it's, it can be scary. Yeah, it's something. a little bit strange, but uh, it's one of those things. A person close to the White House says President Trump was, quote, lava level mad at his staff when he learned the valet tested positive, saying he does not believe they're doing all they can to protect him. A source with knowledge of the situation calling it an operational failure, saying everyone in close proximity to the president should be wearing a mask. And while a White House official says the valets do not wear masks, the president said otherwise. Your personal valet was wearing yeah, a mask do. in your interaction with him? They do. They wear masks. Yeah. And a lot of people in the White House wear masks. It comes as the Trump administration is rejecting expanded guidelines drafted by the CDC offering detailed advice to states about how and when to reopen public places like schools, churches and restaurants. Public health experts are warning against shrinking the CDC's role. CDC is always taking the lead uh, and to shunt them aside in the biggest crisis in uh, more than 100 years. Uh, it's very dangerous. But the White House says it's asking for revisions to the guidelines, calling them overly specific, saying guidance in rural Tennessee should not be the same guidance for urban New York City. With COVID-19 restrictions gradually easing to varying degrees around the world, the airline industry is looking towards the uncertain future of air travel. As Tom Costello reports, the industry is warning that new regulations could trigger a huge increase in fares. The top priority for the nation's airlines, reassuring passengers it's safe to fly. Disinfecting planes, making masks mandatory, spacing out passengers, and blocking middle seats. Under pressure, Frontier has abandoned charging customers to keep middle seats open. But the global airline industry warns it could all push airfares higher by 54% worldwide. The situation, say U.S. airlines, is dire. Passenger volumes declined to levels that we have not seen since the 1950s. Down 95%. The impact on U.S. ticket prices? Hopper.com crunched the data for NBC News. Fares on good deals down 30% on average from a year ago. 29 to 34% cheaper through the summer. Even winter holiday fares already down 22%. We could see higher prices if airlines are required to, or it turns out they end up flying with significantly lower capacity. U.S. airlines have now parked 50% of their fleets, 3,000 planes. In exchange for a government bailout, they agreed to keep their employees through September 30th. Execs have taken pay cuts and asked employees to take voluntary leave. If passengers don't return in a big way, tens of thousands of airline employees could be laid off starting in October. What do you envision will happen come October 1st? 
we are going to have to make some decisions to reduce the size of our airline and to reduce the cost that we're paying. Meanwhile, TSA workers are now being told they too must wear face masks effective today. 500 workers have already been infected with COVID-19. Six have died. International tourists aren't coming to Canada. Conferences have been canceled and British Columbians are being told to stay close to home this summer. Now, B.C.'s hotel operators are warning that even when they reopen, staying afloat is going to be a challenge until people start traveling again. John Hua reports. The pillows are fluffed. A welcoming fire rages on. But the only occupant of the Wedgwood Hotel is an unfamiliar silence. But we love meeting and greeting clients from all over the world. And so it is, it is eerie and it is odd to have the property empty. As COVID-19 travel restrictions heightened, future reservations went into a steep decline, forcing this independent boutique hotel to make the hardest decision in its 37 years of operation. We had to do the right thing for our staff. We had to do the right thing for our clients coming into the property as well. So uh, eventually uh, pausing our operation was the only consideration that we could make. The Wedgwood, just one of many hotels in this province, trying to hold on during the pandemic. We're looking at uh, over 700 closed uh, properties currently and uh, about 64,000 people are laid off. Across the street from St. Paul's Hospital, the Burrard is fighting to stay open by offering healthcare heroes a room where they can rest. We're able to support them in the amazing work they're doing as well as be able to stay open um, with the small amount of revenue that we're able to receive from them. But even that is just a band-aid that can't keep them in the black. No one's covering their costs at this point. Um, so it, it, it's how far into the red do you want to go until you get back on your feet again. The BC Hotel Association isn't rushing the government on a restart, but says hotel operators need some kind of relief. If we don't get this right in the next month, we're going to see a significant number of hotels that will be insolvent. As they wait, hotel operators can only prepare for the new normal as they're forced to redefine hospitality, courtesy and comfort in a world occupied by COVID-19. John Hua, Global News. In health matters tonight, while the future of the NBA season remains in limbo, some NBA players and staff have been invited to take part in a COVID-19 antibody study. The study is being headed up by the Mayo Clinic and will look to support ongoing research into antibodies and how they could benefit future treatment of COVID-19. Starting Friday, some teams will be reopening facilities for voluntary workouts. The league has not played since March 11th, when one of the players tested positive. Later, healthcare staff who say it's payback time. It's been lovely. It's been, the community has been super generous. How these COVID unit workers are saying thank you for the support they've received. And coming up in sports, the young quarterback drafted by the BC Lions and what makes him so unique in the CFL. To the community frontline workers, thank you for all you do for all of us. Watch Global News at noon when we tell your stories and show our appreciation for your continued service. Visit globalnews.ca slash frontline champions in partnership with Fortis BC and IGA. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. While ocean traffic is a fraction of normal right now, when boaters and freighters do hit the water again, they'll have to obey new restrictions about killer whales. Linda Aylesworth has the details on the new rules and why they're being changed now. 
At last count, there were only 73 southern resident killer whales. Most Canadians care deeply about their fate, and the Federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans knows it. There are very few issues uh, on which you see the volume of, uh, of feedback from constituents in Toronto, in Barrie, in Saskatoon, and in Vancouver. And so today, as boating season gets underway, they reiterated some existing regulations and announced a few updated measures. Where the fishing of Chinook salmon is concerned, southern residents' favoured food, area-based closures will be much like last year. But in addition, there will be this request. The fisher fisher people uh, are stopping their fishing activity when a whale is within a kilometre. Um, and that they would move to another area to uh, to continue their uh, their fishing. Like last year, boats must stay at least 400 metres away from all killer whales. The only exception for some whale-watching vessels, which may come within 200 metres of non-endangered transient whales. Other regulations being carried over from 2019? All of the, the vessels are being asked to, to go slow and reduce speed to uh, like about seven knots or less. Um, when you're within a thousand meters of the whales. That's not only because a fast-moving boat is more likely to strike a whale, but the noise they produce underwater is significantly louder. But we're also asking folks to turn off their echo sounders and their fish finders when when they're in those zones and certainly to turn them off when they're not needed. Again, it has to do with noise. Echo sounders work at a frequency similar to killer whale vocalizations and can make navigating, finding each other, or finding food even harder than they already are. And more challenges are something they definitely do not need. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic that's not all that bad. Why a German brewery gave away almost 700 gallons of beer. That's coming up right after Christie's forecast. Definitely people will line up for that, even if they have to socially distance. All right, (laughs) let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at a spectacular uh, few days of weather, Christy. And it's already really started today. That's right. In my opinion, feeling like summer today, and it will for the next few days. Here's a quick look at some of the temperatures for today. 22 degrees in Surrey, Langley, Aldergrove, also reports of it in Agassiz. Uh, Near the water, certainly cooler, still a bit of a cool breeze, but that will ease off over the next couple of days as temperatures begin to soar. Just a quick look at some of the inland regions. Uh, Lillooet, Lytton hitting close to 24 degrees, the hot spots across Canada today, and Yes, those temperatures will continue in through the interior as well. The trend for Metro Vancouver will drop off on Tuesday. So that's when we're expecting a change at this point. But for those of you in the interior, it looks like the warm weather may last a little bit longer. And so that is cause for concern because we now, of course, have uh, the flood concern for many areas. But we've now included the boundary region. So there's many areas that we're watching when it comes to the flood concern. I really urge you to go to the uh, BC River Forecast Centre for more details but they're they're mainly concerned about the heat because mid to high elevation snowpack has yet to really significantly melt so any tributaries or uh, watersheds with that mid to high level snowpack is a concern as we head through the weekend so there you go everyone sunshine and heat for the next several days including mother's day which is really nice with the change not expected until next week so nice several days and your central windows weather window oh my gosh a mountain of goslings. Thank you to Colin for capturing that. He said he found that in uh, Stanley Park. All right, guys, back to you. 
Don't they know we're not supposed to touch each other right now, though? <laughs> no social distancing <laughs> for goslings, apparently. Kids don't ever. No. Beautiful. All right, uh, despite COVID-19, uh, not a bad time to be in Germany right now because some small breweries there are giving away their beer. People stood in line in front of the Willinger Brewery today to get some suds. The brewery's owner, Franz Mast, thought he would give out about 100 gallons, but that was gone in a few hours, and they ended up giving out 686 gallons of light and dark beer. Unable to deliver to hotels and restaurants right now due to coronavirus restri restrictions, Moss said he needed to empty the tanks as soon as possible to fill them up again with fresh beer for when they are allowed to reopen. Most beer in Germany is not pasteurized, so it won't last indefinitely. There will be no beer lines at BC Place for a while for CFL games. Let's get the latest, though, in the league from Squire. Yes, actually, CFL boss Randy Ambrosi made his pitch today for government money to help the CFL because he says it needs the help since it's not like the other big sports leagues. The salary of NBA superstar Steph Curry is equal to the salaries of all of our players combined. Maybe Steph Curry would like to buy himself a football league. Uh, he also said there's a possibility we won't see any CFL football this year. Also coming up, get a meal, give a meal. The inspiring way one healthcare hero and her friends are paying it forward. All right, Squires here with sports. The COVID impact, the ripple effect continues, Squire. Well, it's been uh, big on the CFL, and Commissioner Randy Ambrosi made his pitch for money, a lot of money, to the House of Commons today. He asked for up to $150 million if the season is cancelled, saying the majority of the CFL's revenue is from ticket sales. Governments coping with COVID-19 for reasons of public health that we totally support have made it impossible for us to do what we do. Our best case scenario for this year is a drastically truncated season. And our most likely scenario is no season at all. He hasn't got his answer yet. When there is a CFL season, be it this year or next year, the BC Lions will be looking to groom a rarity, a Canadian quarterback that they drafted to be a possible backup for Mike Riley. On second down and goal, nobody thought Nathan Rourke had the football and he waltzes in for an Ohio touchdown. Ever since he was five years old, Nathan Rourke has wanted to be an NFL starting quarterback. He even moved from his home in Oakville, Ontario to Alabama to play his final year of high school, just to get more exposure to top NCAA schools. He ended up playing three years at Ohio University, where he threw for 60 touchdowns over three seasons. But he still did not get drafted by an NFL team, nor get a free agent offer. So it was plan B, the CFL and the Lions took the Canadian in the second round in last week's draft. I think that maybe it, that could have been the case in the NFL draft, that they think that, you know, I, maybe I might need some more development and that they want to wait and see what happens in the, in the CFL. Um, if that's the case, then fair enough. I'm, I'm up for that challenge. I accept it. Um, and hopefully I can make, that, uh, make a good case for myself here with the Lions. 
The ultimate goal may be to one day play in the NFL, but make no mistake, Rourke is eager to play in Canada. His athletic ability is a perfect fit for the wide field, and he couldn't have a better mentor than Mike Riley. He's reached out to me, and he's been really cool about the way that he's handled things, and um, I know that he's open to uh, answering the questions that I have, and I'm going to I'm going to have a lot of questions and I'm going to be trying to learn. Making the jump from college to pro is the biggest leap a quarterback can make and it tends to be a gradual process. You might not see a whole lot of Nathan Rourke in game action for a couple of seasons, at least. If you look at guys like Mike Riley or Bo Levi Mitchell, is it they spent a two or three years um, watching guys just like Travis Lule was here with, uh, with Mike. Is it so valuable for quarterbacks to not have to get thrown into the fire right away and get to learn and from experienced guys? I want to learn, and I think that um, I, I definitely, you know, I don't think that it happens overnight where you can just go from college and then all of a sudden understand it, you know, a complex professional offense, whether you're in the CFR or the NFL. Um, and uh, there's definitely room for me to grow. Well, who knows if they'll actually let fans in the CenturyLink this year, but this is the Seahawks' home schedule. That are some pretty good games. Patriots now without Brady. Cowboys, both New York teams, and uh, the Vikings are making an appearance as well as the divisional opponents. Something to look forward to. All right, thank you very much, Squire. Let's check in with J.D. Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. J.D.? Thanks very much, Sophie. The union representing a majority of Metro Vancouver transit workers wants TransLink to scrap planned layoffs and service cuts as the province begins to lift COVID-19 restrictions. In April, TransLink issued about 1,500 layoff notices to transit workers, effective May 18th. That same day, around 41 bus routes will also be cut back. Vancouver's mayor calling it a dire situation. It says the federal government needs to step up. That story and obviously a lot more when you join us tonight at 11. <laughs> Full half hour, wall to wall. Thanks very much, Jay. All right, when we come back, a group of healthcare experts working in the COVID unit proved the way to the heart is through the stomach. That's next. Join Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those genes, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their genes. That's a good question. I was asking if we can wear jeans all month to work there. Yeah. I'm going I'm to. We should start. All right, a group of healthcare workers in the Fraser Valley are going above and beyond their work on the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis and giving back to their communities. Leanne Bjornrud is a nurse practitioner working at a COVID assessment site along with her husband, Dr. Reg Peters. They and their co-workers have been so appreciative of the meals and coffee they've had donated to them that they have decided to pay it forward and donate to the food bank for each meal they receive. The community has been super generous, uh, lovely tea, coffee, meals, cards, people bashing the pots and pans at night. We feel it feels it feels great. And it feels like people are thinking about us and it's very kind. It sort of filled my heart and um, what the community is giving back to us. And so just being able to give something in that way. I mean, obviously, we're giving in the sense that we're there for their physical needs, but being there for people outside of us that need our help, it just feels good to do that. Bjornrud says she and her co-workers also appreciate the fact that people seem to be listening to Dr. Bonnie Henry and keeping COVID-19 levels in check. 
Awesome work. And our healthcare workers are definitely heroes. Time to recognize another one of your nominations. Tonight's comes from Danette Thompson in Prince George. She says her best friend, Tracy Yonker, is her healthcare hero. Tracy works at University Hospital of Northern BC. Her unit, Family Medicine, was converted into the COVID unit at the hospital. And while that was tough for younger staff, Danette says Tracy became a cheerleader for her unit. She's also a steward for the BC Nurses Union and a member of the Northeast Regional Executive Team. If she's not in scrubs on the front line, she is advocating for nurses somewhere. Recently, Tracy organized nurses on her ward to give back to the community for the love and support they have been shown. They donated $1,200 from their small ward to the food bank in PG. And while Tracy has been physically distancing to keep friends and others safe, Danette says she's always taking care of other people including from this pic showing up in her driveway, standing out her sunroof, blasting, you've got a friend in me. <laughs> Isn't that something? Very thoughtful indeed. And if you have a healthcare hero you want to nominate, just send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. And remember to include a few pictures and a story to tell us why they're your hero. That is lovely. We're hearing so many great stories from across the province and, of course, uh, featuring some frontline workers on uh, Global News at noon as well. So it's such a strange time. But, yeah. you know, in the middle of all of it, it's uh, incredible to see how great humanity can be and how yeah, generous it, British Columbians can be. It does bring out the very, very mm. best in people. And, uh, and I just watching the interview with Leanne, too, mm. and I know you did as well, the emotion really wells up when they see what you do at seven o'clock and so uh just know how much they appreciate it when you're out there banging the pots and pans in about 30 seconds we don't have pots and pans here but we will clap so <laughs> have a good night everyone and thanks for all all that you're doing for us we're banging along with you <laughs> in mere moments